Hi, I'm Debbie Georgettis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about two tornadoes in Dallas and Peggy Noonan's actions, transgendering a seven-year-old and America, Christian roots, and thriving atheism. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today's first five, I want to talk about two tornadoes that occurred in Dallas. One was last night and happened to hit right centered in the neighborhood I live, where we had a major, major hurricane, I mean, tornado come through. We had houses within two blocks of our home. I mean, dozens of homes lost their roofs. I mean, a really big, disastrous mess of a tornado. And this morning, I left the house really early to take my husband to the airport and for a business trip. And so I, was, I came, we left the house before it was dark, took a certain route out of our neighborhood. And coming back from that, it took me hours and hours and hours to get back to our house because of all of the road closures, because all of the literally telephone poles that fell over on top of houses, the street two blocks north of us, I mean, dozens of homes had their roof pulled off of their house, partial whole roof. So it's a really disaster, uh, disastrous mess. We don't have power at our home. But the reason I want to mention on this political show is that the just amazingly wonderful American spirit comes through in just big, big problems like this. I mean, these are, these are uh, very large, lovely homes, not ours, but this neighborhood a little bit north of us where they, they had so much truly um, kind of these houses will have to be knocked down level um, problems. The streets were blocked, everyone's running late, and yet everyone was cheerful, friendly, smiling, helpful. I'm talking about uh, high school kids wandering around. Um, I'm talking about police officers, people of every race, every ethnicity, national origin, age range, and they were just, everyone was so lovely, so helpful, so thoughtful, so trying to help each other. Can I jump in and help? It was just a wonderful thing, in fact, um, I was I kept being forced on to make to make uh, turns, and I couldn't get to our house. And so I, at one point, I was forced to turn. There's an officer directing traffic. You know, you're not allowed to turn right. Got to turn left. So I rolled my window down. Just say, how do I get to? I said the name of my street. I mean, the guy has been listening to people. And I wasn't grumpy, and he wasn't grumpy. But the point is, he was cheerful. He said, Oh, I know it's a hard morning. I don't even. I'm not sure how you get there, but I think you can try this. I'm just saying, America's full of good people who stand up and and just do amazingly helpful things for each other. Including, I saw all sorts of posts on Facebook. Hey, let me know if you need help. Um, I have my. Um, uh, you know, I have my saw, I have my equipment, my tree removal equipment, service is free today. Tell me where you need help. Just the American spirit of goodness and kindness shines through in these kind of truly disastrous things. The other tornado, which was really uh, what I meant to be talking about in today's first five, was that Donald Trump came to Dallas and he had a rally uh, last week. And you know, I have I watched these rallies on television. And when he was early on running, he had a rally in Dallas, but I kind of more went in 2016, pretty early 2016, just kind of watch this rally. I want to talk to you about it for a moment and where we stand in America in 2019 with the president of the United States under endless assault from the Democrat media mob, the establishment in Washington, the ruling class, the deep state. They work hard to destroy him all day long, every day, including many people on the GOP side. So the, this uh, rally was last week in Dallas, an enormous American Airlines Center. I mean, it had, it was filled to the rafters. I ended up, because I did my show that day, getting in late, and I, I happened to get a ticket to sit in uh, someone's um, box. And so it was a little bit, a little bit shorter line to go into that entrance. But I'm telling you, there were thousands and thousands of people in the streets, thousands of people lined up, smiling, cheering, chit-chatting. I mean, people, while we were waiting in the line we had, and others waiting in other lines, and others realizing I'm never going to get in, but I want to go. It is a political phenomenon unlike anything else I have ever seen in this country. 
people cannot wait to go in and to hear what Donald Trump has to say, to hear his message, to cheer him on. People got in there. I know people who got in there at 10 in the morning and hung out for the day. 10 in the morning, stayed for the day. They had different speakers, they had more Texas figures. You probably wouldn't know. But, you know, Texas people, they had a, you know, they had a gentleman who was actually, I believe, Billy Graham's son, um, who uh, we weren't there yet for this, but he, he uh, led a prayer for the country. And these, this enormous thousands and thousands of people in this American Airlines Center were silent during the prayer. They said the Lord's Prayer together. They had such a spirit of love and love for America. And I wanted to get around to uh, Donald Trump and how people feel about him as we are basically one year away from the 2020 presidential elections. You had this rally. I am, I'm telling you, people of the widest age range possible. We had, we had high school kids there. We had people who had their relatively young children there. You had young parents. You had, you know, obviously working people, people who left their jobs early or came after work. You had senior citizens. You had people of every race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color cheering him on. I mean, it was as a genuine, diverse crowd, very much like America. And I was listening to, honestly, you could have gotten teary during different points of this, um, this rally, partly because what you really hear out of Donald Trump's mouth, what you really hear him say of President Trump's words, it is just plain old, undisguised, unapologetic love of America. That's why people are drawn to him. It's not to his hairstyle. It's not to his swagger. It is when you hear him speak, you realize this man loves America. He loves the American people. You may remember, if you're a little bit older, you may remember when President Reagan quite often used the expression of his love of the American people. You don't hear that out of the left in this country. The main reason leftists run for political offices in this country is to villainize Americans, to paint Americans as bad, selfish, mean, greedy people whose money ought to be taken away by them, the Democrats, and given to the groups of people they want to reward for their loyalty to the Democrat Party. What you hear out of President Trump in that speech is just simply love of America. The second thing you hear out of uh, President Trump in those kind of rallies is a, a bravery, a, a clarity, a simplicity, an honesty. He says things that literally millions and millions and millions of Americans have been waiting to have someone say. He validates the way many Americans feel about the left-wing political correctness, about the attitude of the uh, of Democrat America, of the leadership of the Democrat Party in Washington, working very hard to impeach him. They, you know, the, the American people can see right through this Democrat impeachment effort. They do not, they understand it has nothing to do with whatever Donald Trump said in a phone conversation with President Zelensky. It has everything to do with the Democrat Party in this country wanting to continue their push of America over the cliff into socialism, this entrenchment of the ruling class elite in Washington, the deep state that does whatever it wants to do to hold on to its power, to shut out people they don't want to be in power. The American people love President Trump because he speaks in plain and simple language, saying things you've been waiting for people to say, such as, and this was a tough one, you may not like if I say it, but Donald Trump said in that speech, I don't think the Democrats really love America. I remember when Rudy Giuliani said that about President Barack, then President Barack Obama, and the media had a, just, a, a, just a meltdown. How can you say that? You, how dare you? You can't say that about President Obama. And Giuliani dutifully backpedaled and apologized. But what Giuliani was saying is the same thing that President Trump is saying, which is, the America of the founding, rooted in personal liberty. The idea that you do not want a tyrannical big government in Washington controlling people's lives. That you understand it's not the job of the government in Washington to stranglehold control businesses and corporations and industries in this America through, through regulation. They don't want the federal government controlling the healthcare system. They don't want the federal government stranglehold control over the education system. They deplore the political correctness that's woven its way into American society so people can't speak plain truths about issues and about the, the challenges we face as a country. 
Donald Trump doesn't get into the niceties and the details and the back and forth of the intellectual elites on all the absurdity that so many of the left-wing arguments are all about, just absurdity and silliness, he just speaks truth. It's viewed by many as too bold, as too uh, blustering, as maybe rude, but for the wide swath of Americans, I believe it's the majority of Americans who elected him, they're saying, thank goodness someone finally said that. Which brings me to something, I wanna tell you a little bit about the crowd and then about contrasting what, what uh, the uh, posting that was put in the Wall Street Journal, the, the, the weekly column by Peggy Noonan, and contrast it with a brilliant piece on American Thinker. But first, as to the crowd that was at this, um, this is from the Trump campaign from Brad Prescal, the uh, campaign manager for President Trump's reelection campaign. The crowd in Dallas, at this, um, at this American Airlines Center um, rally for President Trump last Thursday. 53,000, almost 54,000 identified voters, people purchasing tickets who were known voters. 12% of those had not voted in the last four elections. Trump is again bringing out new voters new supporters of people who just want to hear our politicians say that America is a good, extraordinary, exceptional country and that the American people are, are a good and noble people of every race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color. America is a noble nation made of people of many backgrounds and our commonality is our goodness and our allegiance to America, a country rooted in freedom. Uh, of the, okay, so back to the crowd that was at the American Airlines Center, uh, over 21% were Democrat. This is making the left very nervous. There's no one on the left who could come close to not only bringing a crowd of that size into any arena anywhere in this country, but nobody can engender the excitement. The, the I mean, it, people are just, they can't wait to hear Donald Trump, and again, they love his love of America. This is what the left, the left cannot go there. They can't say they love America because everything they do is attacking America, is maligning Amer the American people. And the second thing they love out of President Trump is his plain spoken unwillingness to humor political correctness. And so the last one was of that crowd in Dallas, 11% were Latino. So these are great numbers for the Trump campaign. But the two pieces I want to mention, uh, and I really want to talk, I, I know we talked recently about Peggy Noonan, um, who has just, you know, just fallen off whatever uh, pedestal we may have put her on over the years. She was a great speechwriter for Ronald Reagan. Uh, she was the one who I believe uh, wrote the Point to Hawk speech. She's also the one uh, who wrote this, you know, tear down this wall, even though I think she was one of the ones who said, don't put that line in there, President Reagan, he did it anyway. But she has another piece out in the Wall Street Journal, and she is encouraging, encouraging the GOP in Washington to find some way to impeach President Trump. She uses language, she is a, a gifted writer. She uses language that makes her sound very wise and erudite and kind of above it all. She's not in the common fray. She's above it all, an intellectual and elitist. But the bottom line of this piece, and again, she's among the most famous columnists, serious long-term pundits in America, and she's completely lost her moorings. She's lost her grounding. She does not see everything I just told you about President Trump. She doesn't see that. She doesn't see any of it. She has joined the bubble of Washington, D.C., the people who are so quick to find something to, about President Trump. So she's encouraging the GOP in the House and Senate to both impeach in the House and for the Senate to remove President Trump. She starts out with, you know, most Democrats think the president is not fully sane. No, they don't think that. They like that the media puts that out there. They like that the media depicts half of what he says as crazy or silly or insane. They don't, they don't think that. And she knows they don't think that, but she's joined the, the left-wing march to get rid of this president and to somehow restore the Republican Party to the days of what she would say are that when we had decorum and we spoke in a presidential style in a statesmanlike way, and what Americans who support President Trump see, the kind of people, the kind of party Peggy Noonan wants, 
to the party that capitulated and capitulated and capitulated to the Democrat left-wing march of this country toward socialism, toward destruction of American freedom, elevating political correctness. We can't even talk about issues anymore. The American people don't want, they don't want the GOP that Peggy Noonan is daydreaming about in her head. So she goes to this whole article on and on and on about, you know, every, maybe the Republicans should try this and Democrats should try this. She's egging on this is a, an alleged Republican pundit egging on the GOP in Washington, urging them to think of ways they could possibly get Donald Trump out. It's a despicable piece, but the reason I wanted to mention it was it was the greatest piece uh, on American Thinker. On the, if you don't ever go to the American Thinker, I urge you to do that. I think it's AmericanThinker.com.com. Yes, AmericanThinker.com, great blog. The piece is called For Peggy Noonan and Her Elitist Pals, Here's a little plain speak for you. Plain speak, put together in one word. And with, uh, in the interest of true and honest candor, I will tell you that my husband wrote this article. Uh, you will see it's on American Thinker, and then it got shared on Lucien.com for a while earlier today. It was at the top of the must-reads on Lucien. Again, called for Peggy Noonan and her elitist pals. Here's a little plain speak for you. I can't tell you how happy I am. And my husband took the time to write this. You know, he, my husband, we're on the same page politically where, you know, we just, we're on fire for America. He also has a business world job and he's busy a lot, but he took the time to write this and it is an extraordinary piece. I urge you to read it because you'll be cheering on every paragraph saying, yes, so glad someone finally said that. Yes, that is why we love President Trump. Yes, I am tired of this, tired of the way that Barack Obama got away with so much genuine wrongdoing during his eight years of presidency and no even hint of impeachment over the many things he did. And now we're where we are in Washington where we have the Democrat Party you know, been talking about impeachment literally before President Trump was sworn in and working as hard as they can in 2019 to get some impeachment motion through the House, to vote on impeachment, to push it to the Senate. You have Mitt Romney, treason. Uh, the guy is just a, a treasonous presence in the Republican Party. I wish they could vote him out of it. Working with the Democrats. This is Mitt Romney, Senator from Utah, working with the Democrats in the Senate, trying to get enough Republicans to join them to vote for removal. This is a guy, if you are listening to the show from Utah, please get active and get somebody else in the Senate who actually stands up for the GOP and the, and the Republican values. Mitt Romney has, you know, he and, and Peggy Noonan ought to hang out more often. But I really want to call your attention to that piece that's in American Thinker and Lucien. It's also on my website, americacanwetalk.org. If you go to americacanwetalk.org on the homepage, across the top, under shows, drop down, list of links, it links this article that my husband, Eric Georgiatis, wrote. Fabulous fabulous piece really kind of laying out what all the mainstream you know heartland americans think about the way president trump has been treated about why we so stand behind him uh and in light of even though you know he maybe doesn't use language that we all would use uh, we were used to using or he doesn't deliver speeches in the way that you know if we only had you know uh, mitt romney as president or some other uh, alleged statesman the American people, the heartland of America, are so grateful for President Trump because of, as I say, his love of America, unabashed, proud love of and therefore defense of America, and his willingness to say things to the politically correct American left that would otherwise strangle the ability to have anything like the American political conversation. And yes, I know this segment is called My First Five and sometimes it is only five. I'm trying to work toward having being only five, but this was an important thing I, I couldn't wait to get here today to talk with you about. This, this whole need for Americans to recognize the outrageous conduct engaged in by the Democrats in Washington, pushing for any reason they can possibly find to take President Trump out of the White House, and the need for the American people to stand up, speak up, Tell your member of Congress, your senator, that you stand with President Trump and you stand with the ideas that his, his policies and his ideas, and that he is truly saving America from the radical left. And that, my friends, is today's first five. There's a trial going on in, Washington, in, Washington, in Dallas, Texas. 
there's a trial going on in Dallas that I actually meant to go to. I wanted to go today. Uh, I had tried to figure out a way I could go to this, watch the trial in the morning. I had a, a luncheon I was supposed to attend, a charity luncheon, which in both of those, because of the traffic disaster related to the tornado disaster in my neighborhood, I missed both of them. But in the great state of Texas, in Dallas, Texas, there's a trial going on this week involving a family involving divorced parents, mom and dad are divorced, they're the parents of twin boys. The issue that is being presented to the jury, the mother in this divorce wants the father to be labeled by the jury in this case. Remember, they're already divorced and the mother has primary uh, responsibility for the bo these two boys, these twin boys' health care. The mother wants the dad the husband, her ex-husband, the father of these twin boys, she wants him to be declared to be guilty of child abuse because he will not agree with her mission to turn one of these little boys, seven years old, seven-year-old twins, she wants to turn this one seven-year-old son of theirs into a girl. She claims he is a girl he is transgender and this all this trial is going on and, and people I, I can't even begin to tell you, i want to no, i've talked about this case before it's going on today i believe i was i was hearing from a lawyer friend here in dallas it may even get to the jury today or maybe tomorrow i don't know if they had to delay the trial because of the tornado but in any case very soon this case will go to a jury so you think about this a jury of your peers you're the dad of twin boys. You treat your boys like boys. They are seven. They are babies. These are babies. These are not in any way intellectually, emotionally, societally, socially mature young men. These are babies. The mom, based on the fact that when the two boys were taken to McDonald's one time, and the one kid, you know, they had a, you know, a happy treat or whatever they call it, happy meal. And the one of the twins asked for the girl, uh, you know, they had one for girls or boys, asked for the girl one, and the girl treat or toy or something. And then later was doing pretends and some, you know, some, uh, I suppose, Disney or some other fantasy story that was related to this little treat they got from the McDonald's um, happy meal box and said, in essence, to his mom, yeah, I'm gonna wear dresses. Okay, this is a seven-year-old. Seven-year-olds, boys and girls, say a lot of completely inane, crazy stuff. This mother, wrapped up in the agenda of the American left and the LGBTQ world, where she actually is buying into all of this transgenderism as though it's the latest, you know, trendy thing to be. Oh yeah, I think I'm transgender too. She takes the kid, uh, based on a few isolated behaviors to some radical left-leaning LGBTQ activist therapist who says, yeah, I think little James is uh, transgender. Yeah, I think he's got gender dysphoria. So the mom, based on this conduct of this kid at preschool age, he wasn't even school yet, began to dress this boy as a girl, send this boy to public school dressed as a girl, insists that the school treat this boy like a girl, so the boy is using the girl's bathroom and other things. So he's, you know, it's a, he's a little kid. But it's gotten to the point where the dad is saying, every time the boys are at our house, his house, they're boys. They like boy things. They like to play with snakes, and they like to play with insects. They like to do boy stuff, and they play boy games. The kid, and according to the dad, and the dad's friends and the other families who hang around with his dad and his twins all say he's a regular boy. He's a boy. The mom onto this transgender, it is like this um, mesmerism, this hypnotism, this you know lure to be trendy and bizarre is wanting this little boy to function as a girl in society. So she's in charge, she's, the dad is not even permitted, according to the terms of divorce, to take 
this child to his own choice of a counselor to let some neutral person talk to this kid and figure out, are you, you know, what do you really think you are? Which is a bizarre question anyway, when you're seven. You don't know anything about life when you're seven, not anything at all. But the terms of this divorce, the dad can't even get that kind of opinion because he's not allowed to take the kid. And so the mom actually, the the bizarreness of this litigation is the mom is, you would think maybe the dad will be taking the mom to court saying she's treating our little boy like a girl. She is playing with his head. She's messing him up. She's trying to make him into a girl. But it's not that. The mom is the plaintiff. She's taking the dad to court to try to get the dad alleged, assessed as abusive because he won't play along with her transgender you know, thing with this kid. She has a, a girl's name she's thought up for the little boy. The little boy you know, plays along with that when he's with his mom. He goes to school. He's got a girl name. And so this case is actually going to involve, of all shocking things, a jury weighing in on this question. A jury who doesn't know the family. I mean, this is not a jury question like you would have, you know, who was at fault at a car accident? You know, who do you think really ran the red light? Or, you know, in a, in a, a defamation case, you know, did this person really say that? Did this really harm the person's reputation? Was this person a public figure? I mean, those kind of factual questions. Juries resolve questions of fact. They're being asked to resolve whether a seven-year-old kid whose mother wants him to be a girl, whose dad insists he's a boy, who is biologically a boy, whether that kid is being abused because his own dad treats him like the boy that he is. And I want to make several points about this. This does actually, I know this is just one little case in Dallas, but people, friends, these kind of cases are happening all over this country. Over the weekend, I had got together with a, a girlfriend for a coffee, you know, catch up on things, and discovered to my astonishment, in her family, she has a case like this. She has an estranged sister-in-law who's decided that one of her boys is really a girl and trying to treat him like a girl. And all the family's been able to do so far is to say, well, why don't you hold off a little bit? Before we do anything dangerous and irreversible, let's hold off a little bit and figure out what this, you know, what the boy's really all about. Because people, I want to hit about five points about this, and it does tie into America. It ties into politics. It ties into the culture of family in our country. It ties into the idea of whether we have truth and reality or a fantasy world that the left lives in. But I'm going to start with just a few facts. Number one, there are things called puberty blockers. They are drugs administered in the course of hormones, drugs, whatever you call them. These are uh, the course of treatment to transition a boy from a girl or a girl to a boy. They try to prevent, they're, they're used to prevent a child from developing normally within the sex that they actually are. They're born a girl developing into a young woman or a boy into a young man. They're designed to block that. Part of the issue right now in this case is that the mom has said she's just working on social transitioning, just social transitioning. You know, help him be a girl, help her little boy be a girl, treat him like a girl, give him a girl name, give him girl toys, girl clothes, you know, girl activities. And she's saying social transitioning isn't hurting him. I'll get back to that in a moment. But she's saying, don't worry, I'm not suggesting the actual beginning of the transitioning process, the introduction of puberty blockers, because it's too early for that to happen. So then I read about well, what is too early for, for, what do the alleged experts say that when puberty blockers should start being used? So you're actually preventing this precious child from developing normally given the gender they actually are, the sex they actually are. So the, the answer is there's a series of you know, kind of tests they do, but the average age is, is 11 or 11 and a half. So she's only promising, I'm not starting puberty blockers right now. She's not promising, I won't do it 
when he's 11 or 11 and a half, which the dad fully expects her to do. So this puberty blocker thing, I wanna, I'm gonna, gonna get to social transitioning in a second. When the puberty blocker thing, there is an extraordinary lack of information, even among the alleged experts in this field, whether puberty blockers have long-term damage to a child when they are begun at a young age and whether if you just stop using puberty blockers, could the child then get back on track and develop to be the sex that they are. And the, the experts who are pushing the use of puberty blockers often having ties to pharmaceutical companies that develop these puberty blockers have been saying, oh, nothing to it, no worry. You wanna reduce, you can just reduce it. You know, you wanna start, you wanna change your mind, change your mind. But there actually is a group formed, a political advocacy, excuse me, political advocacy group called World Professional Association for Transgender Health. These physicians, doctors from around the world admit that the effects of cross-sex hormones are generally irreversible. I want you to picture some little boy at age 11 with a normal development a boy would have at age 11 versus the development of the body you'd have as he would have as an adult male. Now picture puberty blockers administered to the 11 year old. So as he grows into a man and the other kinds of development that should occur, the normal development of a man does not happen. So he goes from, he becomes, using puberty blockers, a young man with the biology, the genitalia of an 11-year-old. And then, suppose, as many do, he decides at 22, whoa, what did I do to myself? He's done that much to himself. My first point is, it is insanely, outrageously irresponsible to introduce puberty blockers to young people before, at all, before they're 18, at least before they're of an age of consent, an age of some level of understanding who they are, an age when they get past childhood fantasies and pretends. The idea that, that it is acceptable, in fact, it's kind of viewed as enlightened for a, for a child to be administered puberty blockers at age 11 that could cause him to have the, the biology of an 11-year-old boy when he's a grown man. Same for women, same for girls. But these have become trendy to the point, it's trendy to think, oh yeah, we know these things. Yeah, we got it down pat, don't worry, he can always change. And these doctors are saying, no, actually, you, you really, really can't change. Uh, second point I want to make is that they actually have studies showing that the impact of some of the most commonly used hormone suppressants is actually horrifically dangerous to your health. But in the exuberance, the, the trendiness to salute to the LGBTQ transgender mafia, you have doctors and healthcare professionals and this mom of this young boy in Dallas, who by the way herself is a pediatrician, you have them so excited about being trendy and doing the cool thing and being advanced and being beyond, you know, beyond the silliness of some idea that you know, we have identity based on, uh, from you know, at least established by our birth, by our, by our gender at the, or sex at the time we're born. These people think they're too cool for that. They can just play with nature, inject drugs, withhold drugs, you know, turn people into other things and there is growing evidence, very, very harmful to kids. But the other thing I could not wait to tell you was this factoid, which is parents are finding out that there's truly horrific psychological effects of the medications their kids are using to do this transgender thing. And I wanna ask you, in the age of being careful with family and individual psychotherapy, if you don't do these, tra these transgender-ing drugs, hormone treatment, what percent of adolescent patients, what percent of adolescent, adolescent patients do you think outgrows their dysphoria, which is the word they use, gender dysphoria, meaning that you have a female body, but you think you're really a guy, or you have a male body, but you think you're really a woman. What percent of young people exhibiting this kind of 
confusion, gender dysphoria, do you think by the time they finish adolescence that that whole dysphoria drops away and that they're happy with the gender and which they, which they really are, they were born with? What percent do you think drop off this dysphoria stuff if you leave the gender blocker, the, uh, the uh, puberty blockers out of it? 80 to 90%. So little James here in Dallas got a toy at McDonald's, thought it was funny to do girl pretends. And he is statistically between 80 and 90% likely to decide by the end of his puberty, end of his adolescence, that he is actually a boy and fine being a boy and wants to be a boy. So even if you say there's some confusion in this kid, okay, kids get confused about all sorts of things. And that's what I want to get around to this social transitioning the mother is arguing for. This mother's point is he really is a girl. He knows he's a girl. Everyone knows he's a girl. So I'm being the considerate parent. I'm being a thoughtful parent because I'm helping him move into socially seeing himself as a girl. What if she engaged in responsible parenting, as has been done since time began, and said to little, whatever his name is, you know what, honey, we don't care if you like you know, different kinds of toys, but there are two sexes. There are boys and there are girls, and you're a boy. And you can be a wide range of things. I mean, heaven knows, adult men. There are adult men that prefer poetry to football. There are adult women that would prefer wrestling to, I don't know, shopping or something kind of traditional women. The point is, there's not a locked on set of behaviors that men must engage in and a locked on set of behaviors women must. Within each sex, there's all sorts of different, a range of manliness, range of femininity. These are healthy aspects of individuality. But what this is doing to this child is the mom is deciding social transitioning means I'm going to turn this boy into a girl. I'm going to play with his head. I'm going to plant ideas about who he really is when he is seven. He doesn't even know anything about life. You don't know this when you're seven. The job of parents is to teach reality, is to teach truth. So the end of the story I want to say about this case in Dallas and frankly happening all over this country is, it's time for the grown-ups to speak up. It's time for the grown-ups, the, the Air American psycho psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors are all just scurrying to be in the cutting edge of coolness, the cutting edge of, you know, rising above traditional definitions of identity in men and women and to show they're so much more advanced than to think that there are men and women, in my view, created by God. In fact, we can just morph, we can just change them all and inject them with hormones and pull hormones back and put other hormones in. In the meanwhile, this is this kid's life. I hope a jury in Texas is going to say, you know what, as a matter of fact, not only will we refuse to find the dad guilty of child abuse, we think the mom is the one guilty of child abuse. She ought to lose her parental rights. I mean, the, the craziness we've gotten to in this society, and partly we've gotten to that craziness because we get pushed around by the LGBTQ agenda that behaves the actors in it, some of the most outspoken ones, act like the mafia, telling America what you are and are not allowed to think, and too many people step back. Too many people say, well, I don't want to be insensitive. You know, maybe this little kid who, I mean, you should see the pictures of this kid. He plays with his twin brother. He's his favorite shirt says something like, you know, um, I, I, tough guy, or I'm like my dad, tough guy, something like that. I mean, the point is the kid acts like a boy, but we're actually in a court, a jury trial here in Dallas, Texas, where you may have a jury decide that little James doesn't get to be a boy because his mom wants to make him into a girl and all of his life, he's going to be tagged with this dangerous and frankly, just moral idiocy of anyone trying to claim that a boy at that age has even the remotest idea of whether he really has gender dysphoria. One last point, the dad actually did raise that if you look through his behaviors, you, you account for his behaviors in a variety of things, he doesn't even meet the standard definition of gender dysphoria. 
gender dysphoria. But the mom doing all this social transitioning, it's a polite word of saying she's pushing him to agree with her that he's a girl. Truly, truly, our country has, we, we need to be, have, have more people more willing to speak up and say, this is child abuse, this is craziness, we're not doing this in our country. Last story for today I want to hit, and this was actually, I want to share something with you. Um, I have, I get many emails and, and messages of various kinds. Actually, there are too many sources of messages. Sometimes I find them, I don't even know they were there in all these places on the Facebook and, and on the internet. But a message from a listener, I want to just tell you briefly what she asked and talk about it. I'm not going to have enough time today to get through the whole point of it, but I want to raise it because I think it's a really, really good point. I often say in the show, I make the reference to the idea America is a Judeo-Christian nation. I had somebody on YouTube comment, no, we're not a Judeo-Christian nation. We have freedom of religion, as though those two things were opposites. Secondarily, I had a woman who wrote me an email, sweetest email, started out with, I love, love your show. Okay, that was my favorite line in the whole email. I love, love your show. Some of these bother me, I love to have your thoughts. You talk about Christianity and religion. You seem to limit your ideas to Christianity and Judaism. Um, I believe that one of the things that makes this country great is the fact that every religion or non-religion is accepted. Um, you don't have to believe in God to be an American. And then she said she's an atheist. Then she goes on to what happened to separation of church and state. I am so glad this woman wrote this email. I'm gonna hit a few high points of my response. I'm also going to post on our website my more detailed response to this question because these are really, really important ideas to grasp as you recognize how radically the American left would destroy this country, is on the path to destroying this country, and most especially very willing to destroy freedom of religion. To start with the second question first, separation of church and state. That provision, that language, separation of church and state, does not exist in the Constitution. It does not exist in the Declaration of Independence. It does not exist in the Federalist Papers. It is not a term that is actually a founding idea of America. But it's also true that the founders wanted to have a nation that did not have like they had in England, where they're from, the Church of England was the official Church of England, and it kind of it was the government too. It was the official religion of the country of England. Our founders did not want that. They wanted very much to not have a Church of America, a Christian Church of America. They did not want to choose among the denominations then available or any other one they could think up to say America is going to be a, you know, whatever, Baptist nation or Lutheran nation. They didn't want to do that. There's no official religion of America. This is a great thing, a great thing. But the ideas our founders came up with, the ideas behind the Declaration, the ideas reflected in the Federalist Papers, the ideas behind the Constitution, one of the core ideas is that man, meaning men and women, man, each of us, simply because we were born, have the right to live in liberty. We have the right to live in freedom. We have God-given rights, as the Declaration of Independence recites in the beginning. We have God-given rights, rights from our Creator, which include life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We have the Bill of Rights that says, you have these rights. You have the right, you know, freedom of assembly and speech and religion and all sorts of things spelled out in the Bill of Rights. That concept comes from the Scriptures. That idea that simply each individual, because you were born, has God-given rights, does not, it comes from the scriptures, it's a Judeo-Christian value. Many of the values of the scriptures found their way into the ideas that created America. So when I say we're a Judeo-Christian nation, we obviously don't force religion on anyone. The government doesn't even care what religion you are. You can change every day. No one's going to punish you. But the ideas behind America and including the ideas the founders had as they wrote about what they were trying to do in creating America come from the scriptures. They come from the ideas that you have rights as an individual, as a child of God, as a creation of God, just because you were born. It's a profoundly important idea that number one, protects everyone, including this woman who wrote me this lovely email and said she's an atheist and she'd like to hear or wants to hear that, that 
I don't view that as invalid. To be very clear, this is the beauty of having the Judeo-Christian ideas behind the founding of America, because you actually have individual freedom. You are free to be an atheist. You're free to be any other religion you choose. And you're free to explore your religion and live your religion and practice your religion and teach it. That is a, and you're free to teach, to be an atheist and teach your children to be atheists. That comes from the Judeo-Christian scriptures. Unlike, unlike, for example, in the religion of Islam. In Islam, there is no freedom of religion. It's a great contrast. America, freedom of religion for everyone. Every Muslim country founded on the Quran and following Sharia, there is no such thing as freedom of religion. Literally, the government will kill you for the crime of apostasy if you decide, I don't want to be Muslim anymore. I changed my mind, I want to be Christian, I want to be whatever it is. You can't change your mind, you can't leave your faith. There's no freedom of religion in Sharia. And so I think for a lot of people, the idea of having America having no official religion meant we have no religious values behind our ideas, but we do. And those religious ideas protect everyone. Unlike in Muslim countries, where literally people are stoned to death for even saying anything that sounds like you don't respect Allah or Muhammad or some Islamic cleric, you're put to death for that. And in communist countries, countries founded on the idea of communism, they are all about demanding that the government be God. Demand, this is why communist and socialist countries crack down on religious freedom so harshly, is because the government needs to be the controller of you in communist countries. The government must tell you what to think. It must tell you your values. It must tell you what's right and wrong. You must never question the government. People, thinking people reserve unquestioning faith, that concept, religious people do, to the idea of God. The Chinese communist government punishes Christians because they can't stand the idea, they cannot control what those people believe in, what they think, the values they hold, what they stand for, when those people, the idea of their identity and their rights comes from their faith in God. It is why communist countries endlessly kill pastors, kill priests, kill Christians, burn down churches, arrest Christians, because they need the people to have that sense of absolute reverence for the government instead of for the God they love. I'm gonna get back to this topic another time because there's much more to it. I'm gonna post uh, with that very much, obviously uh, leaving out this uh, writer's name, but post my response to her because they gave her some ideas to think about. But it's important to recognize the left in this country wants very, very, very much for Americans to think that we have a country founded on separation of church and state. The left, the radical left in this country, they are already socialist. They are kissing cousins with the socialist countries, which are in turn kissing cousins with the communist countries. The left in this country is already way down the path of demeaning the place of religion in our country. They very much want Americans to think that the Constitution was really all about separation of church and state. And that is a fallacy from which the left's deprived power. Left deprives power. And folks, I could talk for two more hours, but somehow, sadly, our time is almost up again. So I want to turn for the last part of our show, as I do every time, to talk with you about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. They matter to America and they matter to you in Trump's Dallas rally, which was so much fun. Trump's rally in Dallas, 50,000 people plus um, for a 22,000 seat venue, 20 plus de percent Democrats making the left crazy. Rock concert level energy. I couldn't even begin to tell you. Everyone was happy, upbeat. No one was talking about hating anyone. They're talking about loving America and loving the, the, uh, the, you know, the job numbers and the freedom and getting a secure border back. They're loving President Trump's policies and him. The spirit is palpable and good natured. So I have joy, excitement, love for America. Not anything remotely res resembling anger or hate or mass mesmerism. The American people are rallying to their sense of President Trump's love for America. The pearl clutchers like Peggy Noonan and Mitt Romney have lost touch with the people. Trump supporters are not deplorable. They are, in fact, the salt of the earth. 
this transgendering a seven-year-old, why it matters. Gender reassignment is one thing for adults willing to pay for it and mature enough to understand what they're doing. Bringing family courts into trans transgendering decisions imposed on children is quite another. Seven-year-old children have not experienced puberty, which research establishes as the time when the vast majority of gender confusion is resolved by nature, naturally. Puberty-blocking drugs are unconscionable for this reason and should be banned for minors. Divorce, custody disputes should never be allowed to permit or require a judge or a jury to decide whether gender reassignment treatment is right. It simply should not be a subject for decision except by the affected individual after age. I put 21, I can go with 18, but when you're a grown up, when you know what you're doing to yourself, finally atheism and America's roots. The founders did not want a nation free from religion. I urge you to read the Founders Bible. It makes that very, very clear. They felt a self-governing people could not survive without religiously based morals. They said that in many ways. They want a nation free from a state compelled religion, but the Judeo-Christian values that informed the founders, informed the founders, protect everyone. The result, individuals in America are free to be atheists because of America's Judeo-Christian foundation. The secularist movement in America, I didn't even get to that. There's a secularist movement to claim secularism as America's religion. It is intolerant and in fact is disdainful of individuals in America who wish to practice their faith. They would destroy religious freedom. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Please come back every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Please like this Facebook page, comment, share it with your friends. Sharing is tremendously helpful. If you're watching on YouTube, I love you. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, comment. You can email me at americakimmytalk at gmail.com. I actually try to reply if people have a specific question or to bring it up on the show. If you're listening on Twitter, thank you so much. Please pass this along. You know, like this, this whole show is being put out on Twitter. Like it, you know, send it out to your friends, share it. Tell, because this, what we're talking about here on the show every day is preserving America, the most extraordinary experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth. And that's why I talk about America every day, because America matters. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America? Can you